Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Anyway, we are continuing our series, Jesus And, where we are looking at Jesus as our as our example, where we like to see Jesus as kind of being Lord. We say Jesus is Lord. He rules over all, which is definitely true. Jesus is our Savior. We love saying, saying that Jesus died on the cross in our place and for our sins. Um, he rose and defeated Satan's sin and death. He, he is our Savior. We put our faith and trust in him, and he's the one that ultimately saves us. Scripture tells us that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Jesus is, is our Lord and Savior. But what we've been looking at in this series is that he is our example, essentially saying that if we're going to be like Jesus, we actually have to know how Jesus lived and how Jesus treated things. See, because sometimes I think we can think Jesus did what Jesus did because he was Jesus. We can say, well, Jesus lived a great life, healed people, taught Jesus lived this great life, well, because he was the Messiah, because he was Jesus, and we miss the fact that, yes, Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% human, and Philippians 2 actually tells us that Jesus laid aside his divinity to show us, to show you and I what was possible through a human being that is fully submitted to the Spirit of God, has a life governed by personal discipline, and has a life, a, a rhythm of life set up to cultivate the presence of God. And aren't you glad that Jesus just didn't do what Jesus did because he was Jesus? Jesus shows you and I what's actually possible through our life. No one cares. Okay, great. No one, okay, this is going to be a great service today. Okay, I need, I, I need y'all to be receptive, talking back to me. Okay, so, so this is really good news because so many people follow Jesus hopeless. They follow Jesus, they read about him, I could never be that. I could never do that. I could never forgive people that turn their back on me. I could never, like, they, they look at Jesus' life as like Jesus is this person that's way beyond there. We could never be like him, but we have to shift our thinking to Jesus shows us what is possible. He shows us, like when we read about him, we're not just reading about some archaic figure that there's, oh, well, you know, you know, like he's some superhero. He lived and showed and people wrote about him because he is the example that we can be like. And that's what we're talking about in, in this series is how did Jesus live so we can be like Jesus? Knowing the same Holy Spirit Jesus was filled with, we, we have access to. Knowing that the same rhythms of life Jesus had in place, we actually have the choice to put those same rhythms in place, and so that's what we are looking at. And one of the rhythms that we're going to look at today, that Jesus had as a part of his, as a part of his life, is found in Luke chapter four, which, which we're going to turn to today. Luke chapter four, verse number sixteen, it tells us this: and he, and he being Jesus, came to Nazareth, which is where he was brought up, and as was his what, <coughs> custom, as was his pattern, as was his habit. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, the word synagogue simply means gathering. It simply means assembly. And for this context, a worship gathering of the Jewish people, because Jesus was Jewish. Jesus went to, to synagogue, a place, of, a place of worship every Sabbath day. And so what, what I think we can gain from what we just, just read that was a part of Jesus' rhythm is this fact that Jesus went 
to church. Jesus went, as was his custom, he went to a worship assembly, a worship gathering. And when I say that word today, worship, I'm talking about a worship gathering like we are gathered here today as. Not just worship music, not just worship like, you know, like, like kind of a genre of songs, but I'm talking about a worship gathering. Like we are here today as an act of worship. We aren't just, just attending an experience. We aren't just attending some other you know, social gathering. We, we are here today as an act of worship to God. And one of the things we see Jesus do that was a part of his custom every Sabbath was to go into the assembly, to go into the synagogue and worship. And I, it's so wild to me, the kind of like, I, I feel like we have a culture of Christianity that, that essentially says, I have Jesus, I don't need to go to church which is so odd because that's so unlike Jesus. Like Jesus didn't, didn't say, I'm the Messiah. The actual scriptures that they're reading in the synagogue are about me. So I'm too good to go to synagogue. No. Jesus, Jesus said, I'm, 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 I'm going to actually make this a part of my daily rhythm of life. So we just have to to ensure that when, that when we hear people say, well, I love Jesus, but not the church. I love Jesus, but I don't go to church. You just might want to start asking people, have you read Luke chapter 4? And I get why people say that, because what they're saying is you don't need the church to be saved. And in, really, I agree with that. Like the church, going to church doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Jesus is the one that gives you a new, a new identity. He's the one that lived the life you couldn't live because you've never been perfect. He, he lived perfect. You should have died for your sin, but you didn't die for your sin. Jesus died for your sin. And because he died, he rose again and defeated Satan's sin and death. This is what the gospel, the good, the good news is. And because he beat death, he gives you the benefit of beating death. So you accept this free gift of salvation by grace through faith. And, and then because you, you receive that, you actually receive a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are now new creations in Christ because of what Jesus did. This is the good news. So that is what saves us, that gives us a new identity as a child of God. It's not the church that saves us, but though the church doesn't save us, it does have the power to shape and form us and help us become more like Jesus. So that is what we're talking about today. And while, while I was studying today, because here's the thing, even Jesus doing what Jesus did was probably heavily shaped by the fact that Jesus was in the synagogue. Even at 12 years old, you even read that his parents could not find him. Because they were probably like, Jesus, why out playing soccer again? They went out looking for him. No, Jesus was in the synagogue debating with the rabbis. He was learning. He was growing. Even one thing Luke notes in, in, in chapter 2 of his book, Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God. It's wild to me that Jesus didn't do what like Jesus grew. Jesus had a growth process. And so that is what we have to understand. If we're going to be like Jesus, we have to be part of a worshiping community as well. There's a great book that I found as I was studying this. It's, it's, it's called Worship Like Jesus, and it's written by Constance Cherry. Interesting name. Um, but this whole book is dedicated. She, she wrote a whole book on Jesus participating in, in his priority of worship. Of, Worshiping and participating in a worship community on a weekly basis. And this is one, I'm, I'm going to be reading probably three or four quotes from her 
book and to help us guide this conversation today. But there was one, one quote that I want to start off with. She says this, the four gospel accounts of Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, present Jesus as someone who modeled a devoted and disciplined life of worship in community. He was a worshiper from birth who consistently, even daily, worshiped at the temple and the synagogue, kept the Sabbath, spent much time in prayer, participated in, in the regular worship rituals, worshiped God in defiance of Satan, read the scriptures in the synagogue service, cleansed the temple, celebrated the Jewish annual festivals of worship, pronounced blessings upon people, sang the liturgy, preached, and taught in the temple and synagogue. And she just gave a brief, a brief synopsis of all that Jesus did throughout the four gospels of, of how Jesus was, was connected with the synagogue and weekly worship. And here's what the church has been really good at, is telling you what you should do. But isn't it true many times the church doesn't do a great job of telling you why it's important? Like, we'll tell you, give money, serve, go to church, get in a group, do the darn things, right? But we really don't do a good job of really explaining the why behind the what. We can many times do a good job of this is what you need to do, this is what you should do, and honestly, many people, because when they hear, I should do this, I need to do this, they will do it, and they'll even do it for years without even knowing why it's important. Church people are great at this, because we typically like to follow. So if we see, okay, someone's doing this, I'll do that. If someone tells me to do this, if the pastor tells me to do it, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, whatever. Whatever, but what ends up happening is we will end up doing things, the what for so long, and we don't understand the why that will then go on autopilot. And we'll be doing spiritual things that are purposeful on autopilot without realizing why we're actually doing it. Have, 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 have you ever been on autopilot while you're driving? Like, you know what's one of the scariest things, and I did this a while back, right? Like driving somewhere, and you drive for like 45 minutes, and you literally like come back to consciousness, and you don't remember any of the 45 minutes you just drove. Anyone ever done, done that? And you're like, oh, my God. How did I get to North Carolina? I was in Norfolk, and now I'm in North Carolina, and I don't remember passing any cars. I don't remember taking any exits. I don't remember doing anything, but I'm here in North Carolina. Why? Because I was on autopilot. This is what we can do many times in church. We get on spiritual autopilot where we just cruise, we do the things, not realizing the actual why we do them. Let me, let me tell you, if, if there is anything that is important to me as being the pastor of Lifehouse Church, I am not interested in you being just busy. I am not interested in you just participating in particular things. Like it's, it's because here's the thing, spiritual activity and spiritual busyness don't always produce change. They don't always produce Christ-like change. It can almost produce legalism. It can, it, it can almost produce this works-based righteousness thing. As you are participating in the life of a worship community, of a church community, and there are things that you are participating in, my heart is that you would know the why behind why you do them. That you would know that as you serve, that, that as you serve in a particular ministry, whether it's on Sunday or throughout the week, you know serving isn't just about getting you to fill a slot. Serving is when you take a step and, and you serve outside of yourself. That is a formational act that is punching selfishness right in the face. That as you step out and serve somebody else, you are actually going against the very grain and proclivity of us all, which is selfishness. 
So when you step out and serve, that serving is a formational act to help change you. When you get into groups and you get into community, that is a formational step to, to, that goes against you wanting just to sit back, isolate, and be by yourself. Right, like, like, at, like when we ask you give and financially invest in, in what God's doing here, it's not just to give so you can pay salaries or pay a building. We're asking you to give because when you give, you are never more like God than when you give because for God so loved the world that he gave. Our God is a giver, and when you give, it does something to you. Giving has a way of forming your heart to be more like Jesus, but it doesn't just form you as a formational act. It also fuels the mission and vision that God has given Lifehouse. My heart is that you would know the why behind all the things we're asking you and encouraging you to get involved with because we are not interested just in, in activity. We want you to see change. We, and, and that change comes not just by being active. Change comes by when you know the reason that's connected to the actual activity. Got to start with why. And that's what my heart is when it comes to worship services. When, when, when I say worship, when we say church, when we say we gather each week, my heart today is for you to know why in the world we do this. We see it's evident in Jesus' life. And my heart today is that by the end of this service is that you just wouldn't know like what like, like that going to church is important, but you would know actually what is happening as we gather together as a church. But, but before I dive into the why, I want to tell you a couple ways we can get this wrong. That because of the culture we live in, the culture that is shaping and forming us, here's, here's, here's the thing. Discipleship isn't just a Jesus thing. It is a world thing. Discipleship simply means following. Everything in the world is saying, follow me. Politicians, corporations, organizations, they are all yelling and screaming at you, follow me to become like, like me. So whenever Jesus said, follow me, he wasn't saying anything that the rest of the world wasn't saying. Right? So we have to know that as we follow Jesus, there is a culture out there that's trying to shape and form us into its, into, into its ways, as, as well as Jesus that is calling us to be shaped and formed into his way. And so I want to tell you a few ways of how we get this worship service thing wrong. The first one is this. We come to be entertained. And therefore, we become spectators, Right? We are so entertained in this culture that it's so hard to switch when we come in here and realize that we're just not here to be entertained by the, by the music. We're just not here to be entertained by, by preaching. We are here today to not just spectate, but to participate. A worship service is not something where it's like, hey, worship team, stir my stir my emotion, so I'll raise my hand. Pastor John, say something, so I'll laugh. No, we are participating in a worship time with God. And we're just not called to come and spectate. We're coming called to participate. But our culture is just, just wants you to come in here and just entertainment. And we, we will miss the point of this gathering if we come in here wanting to be entertained. We will completely miss the point. Secondly, though, we get it wrong whenever we come as a consumer. And when we are consumers, it's, it's like we're ready to critique, give ratings and feedback, and one to five stars. Where we will come in, and, and because out there, 
Like, you can go on Yelp and give a rating for every restaurant. You can go on Google and give one to five stars. You can give, a, you, you can give reviews. It's so hard to come into a church and not treat it like you are a consumer. How was the customer service? How was the greeting team? How was the children's ministry? Did the worship team sound off today, on today? Pastor John, I don't know. He seems a little sick. He seems a little off today. You know, like, and, and, you're, and the whole time you should be receiving your critique. And we come into an environment where it's, it's like we can get all of this wrong if we're coming in here wanting to be entertained or coming here as a critic. When, when I don't think that's what God had in mind when, whenever this whole thing, what, like as we can see in Jesus' day, as a church was being formed and established, and they established a day to meet weekly, to gather to, together. It was to come, not to be entertained or to be consumers, but to come. And really, I think the purpose of it, we can find in Hebrews chapter 10. This is what it says here. I'm going to read it for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. The writer of Hebrews says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And then he connects this spurring towards love and good deeds with this. He says, Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see the connection between encouragement encouraging and the connection between spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. He says, don't forget meeting together. Because here's the thing, meeting together has, has this unique way of spurring us on, of shaping and forming us to be like Jesus. Here's the thought, worship services have the power to form us to be more like Jesus. These times of gathering to, together, like I said, they do not save us, but they are wildly important in how we are shaped and formed. I don't know about you, but COVID messed a lot of stuff up. There are still people coming back from COVID. There are still people that, that, that the rhythm of life that got so messed up that even when it was safe to go back, the rhythm was so jacked up, a lot of people never went back. They never went back. And it's hard because you see these people coming back, and what they say to me is, I tried to watch online, but it just wasn't the same. And isn't it true? Worshiping online wasn't the same. Maybe the first month, you know, even me, right? I'm sitting there at the television. I got my, you know, I, you know, you know I'm telling my kids, be quiet. I'm focusing on the songs, the message, and worshiping, and then it kind of like by month number two, it kind of became background noise. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, it was kind of like church while, you know, it was kind of like church while I was grocery shopping. <laughs> Have it in my earbuds, so then it kind of came passive. And, and but, but COVID knocked the rhythm of meeting together out, and I mean, we couldn't meet together for seven, eight months. It was... Do you know how hard it was to continually spur each other on towards love and good deeds? How hard it was. And I mean, it, it spiritually shook people to the core. Look at every statistic in the United States when church stopped gathering together. Suicide went up. Divorce went up. Abuse went up. Drug use went up. Everything went higher and higher, even among Christians. 
Why? Because there's something about when the church can gather, be united, and be in a place to worship because it has the power to form us. Constance, Constance Cherry continues to say this. She says, all Christian disciples are formed in worship by worship. The scriptures we hear, the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, the sermons we heed, the offerings we give, the communion elements we share, the sense of love we feel from fellow worshipers, all of this and more unites in the power of the Spirit to change us towards Christ-likeness. Isn't that true? Worship is a highly transforming event. It is such a formational force that it is sometimes referred to as primary theology, the most significant occasion from which our understanding of God originates. She continues and says this, to be honest, for many years, I had not considered how corporate worship is formational in nature. I had the idea that I formed worship. I have since discovered that worship forms me. I misunderstood the purpose of worship, thinking that it consisted largely of a service that people created in order to express themselves to God and to be inspired to live better Christian lives. It didn't occur to me that participating in the worship event is, in itself, an act of intentional spiritual formation. I've come to see that when worshipers participate faithfully and devotionally in the liturgy of their worship service, they become deeply formed by what is said and done. Worship is a primary means through which our view of God and the, and the world is reshaped in an ongoing way. But not only our view is changed, more importantly, through, through true worship, our affections, that to which whom we come to love, are amended. Isn't that good? Because I, I, I feel that because I feel like I am just in this process of discovering the sacredness and beauty and importance of the Sunday gathering. Because I feel like for so long, y'all, I, I, I saw this as a chance just, just to get people saved. It was just like, all right, there's, there's going to be unsaved people there. I'm going to preach a message and then we're going to do the altar. And I feel like I totally forgot that there are Christians coming to this as well. Right? And, and, and so here's the thing, right? Not that we totally forget. If you don't know Jesus here today, we're going to give you the opportunity to follow Jesus later. And I want to encourage you. That's the best step you can take. But at the same, same time, I feel like the Lord has been putting on my heart, like, John, this is a formational discipleship environment. This is a place, first off, not to get people saved, but to disciple the found. And that as we focus on that, as, as we focus on saying this is the place that is formational in nature, that we will then see people start to follow Jesus because Jesus, Jesus is beautiful. And as people start to see the beauty in following Jesus, the goodness in following Jesus, inevitably, as we focus on God, God will draw people to himself. At times, God doesn't need our help. And really, I feel like I, don't know, I, feel like I was kind of switching, like God needs, needs my help and but to say, he doesn't need my help. He needs me to be a disciple maker, to disciple the found. And, he, and, and as we put him as the center of the service, not the unsaved person at the center of service, as we put him at the center of service, God will then draw people to himself. And that is what I feel like the Lord is doing, is he's bringing back the sacredness, the point, the why behind our gathering. And I pray that you would catch that. Because in this culture, it's, it's, it's like typically the first thing that goes whenever we get busy is the church service. We get busy, we're tired, the first thing to leave is this. And I'm like, but what if we saw it differently? 
What if we saw it from a different lens? What if we actually knew the why? What if we actually knew what was going on here as we gather instead of what the 21st century church has told us and taught us and trained us to think about what happens here? What if we actually had revelation of what is actually happening here? And I love what Constance Cherry says. She defines a worship gathering. And I just thought this was such a powerful definition for us to kind of draw from and land this plane, plane from and, and just, just to give us a robust vision of what actually happens here as we gather together on a Sunday. All right, she says this. Worship is the regular, ongoing meeting of a local body of Christian disciples with the triune God, expressed in acts of corporate devotion done in partnership with one another in order to give glory to God bear witness to their identity as God's people, proclaim and celebrate the grand narrative of God's eternal activity, and to receive power for living according to God's kingdom purposes. That's a mouthful. That's a mouthful, so I'm going to break it down in layman's terms. Okay, because I want you to know, because I love this, I want you to know what is happening as we gather together, the why behind why we gather here on Sundays. The first one is, she says this, Basically, we meet with God the Father through Jesus the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every week, we get the opportunity to have an appointment with God. That we are not just coming up to check a religious box. That we actually have, you can actually put in your calendar every Sunday, either at 9 or 1045. Put it on your Google calendar. Meeting with God. That you get to come into, now, this isn't the only place where God, where where you can meet God, don't get me twisted. But there is something special and something deeper that happens when the church comes together. As we all feel with the Holy Spirit, come together with one spirit. And there's something unique and special that we actually get the opportunity to meet God the Father. Because through Jesus, because Jesus has made a way for us to be in the Father's presence, to be righteous before him because of what Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit that is evident and present and working here. How much different would we view a Sunday service if we were actually like, I've got to go, I've got a meeting with God? How much different would, it, would your expectation level be? How much different would your preparation on Sunday mornings be? Maybe the worship team wouldn't feel like they're wasting the first song because there would be people in here when the first song happens. I'm just kidding. Not kidding, but kidding. Uh, <laughs> the poor worship team, bro. You know, and I'm not guilt tripping no one. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, could it, could it, <laughs> could it possibly, but, but just, just throwing out there, could it possibly say, I'm going to get up a little bit earlier? I'll, bro, and, and I know you're trying, bro. Trust me, I got three of them. And there is no... No, y'all, y'all, we don't do guilt here. That doesn't change no one. That doesn't change no one. And there's grace at the, uh, grace. But what I'm saying is, is that could it just begin with a switch in what you're going to? Could it begin instead of, we got to go and do our religious duty, we got to go, there's going to be God, God. At a meeting with God. Is there something that happens that comes together when the church comes together and the spirit is present, the spirit is here. Just, just, just like, just, just think about that. Like the spirit of God is working even, even right now. 
Have you ever heard that song, even when I can't feel it, you're working? Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. Holy Spirit is working. Even, do, you know, do you know how important the Holy Spirit is? Like, I, yeah, there's a couple hundred people in this room. Do you know how ungood I am at talking to speak to all 200 of y'all where you're at? With all your situations, with all your emotions, with all your background, with all of who you are. I need the Holy Spirit to be the translator. That's one thing that I pray every single week. God, take these words that I'm going to say. Some I'm going to say them stutteringly, and I'm going to say them. Would you take them and translate them to be what each mind, heart, soul, and spirit needs? Because I don't know what they need, but you do. And he is the translator. He's the one that takes the words and is literally giving them to you to be what you need right now. He's active. He's moving. It's not that, the Holy, it's not that we have to beg for the Holy Spirit to be here. We just got to be aware of him. That's why I love the song, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come flood this place and fill this atmosphere. Your glory, Lord, is what our heart longs for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Let us become more aware of your presence. That's really what it is. God, let us become more aware of the work you are already doing. So every time we have the opportunity to, to meet with God. Secondly, though, she says corporate acts of d- devotion. That's just like, basically, we have two core things that we do together here at, at church. Two or three things. Communion. We have worship and we have the word. These are ways that we connect and be shaped and formed. Like these are ways that we connect with God, the mediums that we connect with God. Worship. We sing songs, right? Every Sunday we sing songs. And I, my heart is that you know even the heart behind those worship songs because I have even been challenged to see it differently because I was always taught worship revs you up for the word, right? Worship gets you revved up, fired up, gets your heart ready for the word. And even as, if, as you study the history of that, that was more in the revivalist era where you would have traveling revivalists. They would go and they would bring a band and they would rev the tent up that would, of people there and they would get all hyped, revved up, and they would rev them up for the speaker to come and share and preach the word and get people saved. But, but for the most of the early part of the church, worship was one of the primary ways that people learned theology, that the people learned who God was, that people learned who they were. Worship for us isn't just about stirring your emotions up. Worship is one of the primary ways you get to know who you are and who God is. Think about the way you learn the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. No one's going to join in with me. Okay, I see how you guys are. Q-R-S-T-U-N-V, W, right? It's, it's a song, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. That's that. The reason I know the, the New Testament is because it's a song. Songs are not just the way to stir up emotions within us. Songs are one of the main ways we learn theology. Songs are one of the main ways that, that we can fill the imaginations in our minds with God. I want to actually challenge you. I gave this to the first service. I want want to challenge you to listen to nothing but worship music for the next 30 days. Some of y'all are like, I'm out. (laughs) You got to work. Somebody said, I got to work out. I feel you. I I feel you. Then do Christian hip-hop then. Don't be doing Ace Hood, okay? <laughs> but here's the thing. I guarantee, because some of you want to know God more. Some of you want to know his word more. And what I would say is listen to more music. 
Because that music, y'all know this, music has a way of getting into the intrinsic nature of who you are, into your mindset and how you think, how you feel. And I guarantee, to check after 30 days, if you only listen to worship music, see how much more peace you have. See how much more joy you have. See how much more clarity you have. See how much more hope you have. See how much you like love people more. Like, see, just try it. See how much more of God's word you know. Just, but also, too, that's why we do the word on Sundays, worship and the word. It's the two mediums we have, the corporate acts of devotion. We have, we have communion as well. These are the ways, the, the methods, the means that we connect with God, and we learn together. Thirdly, though, we come together, like one of the main reasons we come together is to be reminded of who we are as God's people. I don't know about this, but I tend to remember what I should forget and forget what I should remember. We are great at spiritual amnesia. And when we gather together here, hopefully you know one of the main things is you are reminded who we are as God's people. That we are loved and chosen and forgiven. That we are his. And we are reminded that at the end of the day, no matter how flawed we are, God loves us. That is the good, the good news that we are more jacked up than we want to ever admit, but more loved than we could ever dreamed of at the same time. This is what you need to be reminded, because if you are reminded of this in community, that's when shame, guilt, condemnation, isolation will do their thing. Some of the greatest barriers to you growing in your faith are shame, guilt, and, condemn, and condemnation. But when you come together here and you hear the gospel, you hear the words, you sing the songs, you are reminded, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I can't sing. That's why I don't lead worship. Right? But, it, but, it, but it's like it's these things where we can come together and we are reminded. It really, what I see, it's kind of like a spiritual, chiro, a spiritual chiropractic appointment where you're snapped back in like, I, I remember who I am and who God is. Right? Fourthly, though, this is vital. We, we get the opportunity, she says, to basically regain our perspective to see our micro story in light of God's macro story. You have a micro story, your story. God is writing that, but also, too, as God is writing your story, there's a story that God has already written. And at the end of God's story, do you know what happens? God wins. And you are going to experience so many losses in your story that you're going to forget the fact that God wins. And you need to be reminded every, every seven days that your story, you can see your story in light of God's story. That we can, that you know at the very end of this book, and we can go through the book of Revelation, we can talk about the four horsemen, red, white, black, yellow, whatever they are, pre, post, mid-trib. We could talk all about the theology of the book of Revelation, but the whole point of the book of Revelation at the very end of it is that Jesus wins. And do you know what? That is the ultimate ending of your life. If you're on Jesus' team, you win. No matter how many losses you experience, no matter how many losses you get on this side of eternity, the fact is that at the end of your story, if you're on Jesus' team, you win. And this is what we get the opportunity to do each week. We get to be reminded that God has a meta-narrative. A meta-narrative that is greater than our minor narrative. But as we give our minor narrative, and as we give it to him and view it in light of his meta-narrative, then, y'all, we gain a new perspective. And we even start to see our losses differently. We start to see our losses in light of Christ's victory.
and it gives us hope. It gives us joy. Lastly, though, and I'm going to close. You can start playing, brother. You're just sitting over there. Like, come on, bro. Play me something. Help me land this plane. Lastly, we, we gather together to receive power to live for God for the next six days. One of the things that, that I pray at, at, at the end, each, each service, that God would fill you with the power of his Holy Spirit. That you would receive grace and strength and power. Honestly, every Sunday it feels like a fill-up. Like that you would just feel like, I just went to the store and I got filled, filled up with grace and strength and power and perspective to go and live in my chaos world for the next six days. Y'all, like, do, do, do y'all see how big and wide and huge, like, all that is going on as we gather together here? But there is so much more happening than just good music and a word and a few moments of hanging out. That, that, that we, we, we're meeting with God as we are interacting here. We, we, we are meeting with the God of heaven. That we have the song and the word as the means and the ways of connecting. That we're being reminded of who we are. We're, we're regaining perspective of God's meta-narrative. And that we're being equipped with power to leave this place. As we've been here as the gathered church, we then now go and be the scattered church. We now take what we have learned here. We now take the identity we have here. And we now go out there. And we are the body of Christ here. And then we go and be the body of Christ out there. Gathered church and the scattered church. My heart for our gatherings, my prayer for our gatherings is that this would be the new norm, that we would have a new awareness of what's going on in here, that it would give us a new expectation that when we gather together, if God's here, anything's possible. If God's in this place, anything's possible. What if we came with the expectation of anything's possible today? What could God do? What could God heal? What could God say? What could God share? What could God do? Really, y'all, I, I feel like we need to get back to the heart of why, this, of why this happens. It's not to be entertained. I'm not here to be an entertainment tool. We're not here to be the best church in the 757 that gets all the five-star ratings. We're in a theater, for God's sake. We understand that, like, we're not going to be everyone's cup of tea, Okay? but we do want to be a place where the Spirit of God dwells. That when people come to our services, they might say, I don't know, you're in a theater, your music's not the best, you're an okay preacher, but the power and Spirit of God is here. If they say that, it's a success. If we create a place where God wants to be, that's what ultimately matters. It's getting back to the heart of worship. This, this song that we've been saying, the third worship song, it says the heart of worship. That's actually the name of it. It was actually birthed out of a time back in the mid-90s. That's how old I am. I'm turning 40 this Friday, y'all. Come on, somebody. Turning 40. Anyway, this, um, this, there was a point in this, in this church, it, 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 was, it was called Soul Church. The worship leader, Matt Redmond, who's, who's a great worship leader, um, their, their church was growing. 
And they had an incredible worship team, incredible music, had all the cutting edge material and stuff. Worship team was slamming, but the pastor got up there and he noticed that most of the people in the crowd sat like this. And they were kind of the hip, cool church. Had, you know, they had young people on the worship team. They probably had a real cute worship leader everyone wanted to be with. So they were probably all, you know, and, and it was very attractional. People were coming, but he noticed that though numbers were growing, though the sound was, a, was absolutely amazing, he said there was a spirit of deadness, apathy in the church. So this pastor in the middle of growth, in the middle of what part of the, the, the church in the United States would seem as, as a success, he got up there and he said, hey guys, um, we're, for the next month, we're not going to have any worship team members. We're just going to worship with our voices. Because he said, we've missed the point. We've completely missed the point. People are being in the crowd entertained, being spectators, not participating. So he says, we're going to get back to the heart of why the church gathers. So for the, for the next month, they got together. And imagine if we did that. Hey, everybody, welcome to Lifehouse. I want to encourage you to sing. I'm coming back. You know, it's like, and it was just voices. Some of y'all would never come back. Some of you are like, I, I, I singing. But it was absolutely wild because what this pastor did actually had a tremendous effect on how people worship. Because when you stripped away the music, when you stripped away the sound system, when you stripped away all of these things that people put so much emphasis on, they actually got back to the heart of why they were gathered. And they started to sing more. And then Matt Redman, one of the worship leaders at that time, out of coming out of this month-long <coughs> voice singing, wrote the song, Heart of Worship. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come long. And just to bring something that's of worth, that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search what's deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. To, to what? All about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you. And that's what I feel the Lord calling our church in into it. Lord, we're sorry for making this entertainment. We're sorry for making this about a consumer. God, we, we, we want to make our Sunday gatherings a place where you are at the center, where you are lifted up. And we know that as if you are lifted up, you will draw all men to yourself. Do I got anyone here that's on board with me? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.